everybody, this is Dr. Diane Mueller, and today we'll be mapping chronic Lyme disease on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Diane Mueller. Dr. Diane Mueller is the co-author of the book, Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lyme, which covers a mind-body approach to Lyme disease, chronic hidden infections, and mold illness. In addition, she has co-founded the Medicine with Heart Functional Medicine Clinic, which serves people around the world. She has also co-founded the Medicine with Heart Institute, where she trains clinicians in how to work with advanced chronic complicated diseases. Her clinic specializes in reversing chronic disease of all types that people have been told that they have to live with, as well as helping people reach their full potential of their health and wellness goals. I loved this conversation, and I think you're going to appreciate the beautiful reframe and the depth of the conversation as well. Dr. Diane, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. I have to say that I really appreciate your work because, well, for many reasons, but because you recognize and also teach into the reality that there's no plug and play for these complex multifactorial health challenges and that protocols can often offer empty promises. And I like to say that we have to reframe our thinking from protocols to frameworks. It's more about systems thinking and critical thinking, which I believe you agree with as well. Do I have that right? Oh, 100%. I think there's, you know, there's oftentimes some level of framework that is common throughout, you know, humanity, right? There's like, for example, there's a mind component of many disease processes. There's a body component of many disease processes. So there's, there's some foundational things that I think we see across the board where I agree with what you're saying is really when it comes down to the uniqueness of the individual and the uniqueness of the root causes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're in so much agreement there. And you really dive into specific chronic conditions. And I wanted to talk with you today about chronic Lyme disease. And I'm wondering, and this is a huge question, but I'm wondering if you can start us off just by articulating what chronic Lyme disease is. So chronic Lyme disease is really Lyme disease that has moved from the acute phase to the chronic phase 
which depending upon research is somewhere typically between the three or six month mark of having the symptoms of Lyme disease. So for some people that can mean they have acute Lyme and that Lyme has moved into more of a chronic phase because the symptoms of acute Lyme have never gone away despite treatment and they last and last and last. And over time, it turns into more of a chronic problem. For other people, it's really defined as having Lyme earlier in their life, sometimes that they know about it and treated it and they alleviate their symptoms. Other times they didn't even know about it. And years later, they have a resurgence of it and it comes across with symptoms such as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, brain fog, headaches, migraines, wandering pain. And they go down this rabbit hole of chasing things because they don't actually know that it's linked to an insect bite they had many, many years ago. So why has there been so much dispute about this? Knowing what we know about the function and the depth of function of the immune system, why is there a lack of understanding that something can move beyond the acute and into the chronic? Some of it comes down to lab testing and diagnostic criteria. So many of us in the functional medicine space, we're aware of this, right, when we look at things like thyroid and we see the difference between thyroid markers that are out of balance and a conventionally diagnosable thyroid disease versus thyroid markers that are still not in the ideal range and still contributing to, you know, to these thyroid symptoms. And diagnosis of Lyme is very analogous to that, where it really depends upon how we are interpreting the actual lab results. And those of us that are Lyme literate docs actually are more up to date with the current research on how to interpret the labs. And so some of the problem is if somebody was trained a while ago and they're using old ways of interpreting the lab data, a lab test that actually looks negative can be positive. In fact, the most commonly run first order of labs is called the ELISA test for Lyme. And there's one study that even shows it as a 66% false negative. And so, you know, if you look at that, it's like, that's our gold standard. And it has that level of being falsely negative. And so that's one of the biggest problems that we're running into. That's so interesting. And it makes so much sense also as we have moved into this arena in medicine where we are in the protocols, we are in the fix, and we are more accustomed to looking at the acute, and we don't know how to assess, diagnose, or even treat or work with the chronic. Yeah, 100%, 100%. It's an area where I think we just need so much more education And some of it is, I think when it comes down to looking at these disease processes that chronic Lyme can cause, so many people get a label like fibromyalgia, for example, and that label becomes like the end of their searching. It's like so exciting, right? Like we have this label, we know what it is versus really using that as a sign around like, okay, we we have a label, we're calling these symptoms something, but let's go further and do more investigative work to actually figure out the why. Exactly. Yeah, the why. So the triggers for chronic Lyme, you mentioned a tick bite. I'm assuming if it's something that's appearing or showing up later, even with an unknown tick bite, that there's other immunological dysfunction or imbalance. What what would you call the triggers for chronic Lyme? Yeah. So one thing just to mention here in talking about this is 
Yes, ticks are the most common vector, the most common insect we see Lyme disease transmitted in, but there's one study that looks at mosquitoes and another study looks at fleas as possible vectors as well. So it's important to realize this isn't always just a tick-borne thing. And then from an immunological standpoint, when we're thinking about lab testing beyond things like the Western blot or the PCR, the ELISA, these standard types of Lyme testing, some other common things that we see, for example, one is a white blood cell count that goes below 5.0. Almost every single client of mine with Lyme has that very, very diminished white blood cell count function. And it's like that acute Lyme Typically, we think of our white blood cells being higher, but in chronic Lyme, we actually see the opposite. So that's one clinical red flag or pearl you can look out for. I love that you said that because it brings us back to those functional ranges and the clues. It's not a determinant, but it's a clue that we could be looking deeper, digging deeper, supporting differently. So I love that you're bringing that clinical pearl into the picture. If we move to the center part of the matrix and look at all the things that could be going on in the body, either from a symptom perspective or from a clue perspective, can you give us a picture of what you're seeing with your chronic Lyme patient population? Yeah, 100%. And I love the way you're looking at your matrix with your functional nutrition work because it's very similar of what I see with Lyme and, and Lyme clients. So we actually do have that huge immune system issue. We have a infection there, but we also see that Borrelia, the bacteria that causes Lyme, will actually attack the vagal nerve so we can get digestive issues. We also see that sometimes when we have Lyme, the biotoxin accumulation will actually disrupt the way the liver transports toxins out of it. And so we can actually get a backflow of toxins into our systemic circulation, which can lead to things like MCAS and histamine intolerance and the inability to work and detox other things from our environment. So you have that environmental component, that detoxification component. And the other thing that we see, the other couple of things we see, we see widespread endocrine dysfunction. So it's very common that we have low thyroid function, sometimes high, but but usually hypo, and that we see HPA axis dysregulation. So we'll see cortisol and DHEA imbalances. We'll see sex hormone imbalances, circadian rhythm imbalances. And then one of the biggest things too is this mental component and sympathetic dominance because I really look at these chronic diseases as a trauma. And there's almost like this PTSD component of when even when somebody starts getting well, the moment they have like a cold or something small, it can really trigger them into thinking about their past horrible experience and create that sympathetic dominance that can then re-trigger that disease process. Yeah, it makes me want to move over to that mind, spirit, emotions, community section of the matrix because this is a very alienating experience as well. There is that chronic seeking and questing. And even with the diagnosis of chronic Lyme, it's not like there's an easy solution, right? So how are people coming to you? What's the lived experience that in and of itself is a trauma? It's, I mean, it's a big thing. And one of the biggest things I see is this, like almost this victim type of mentality, which is largely warranted. Like it makes sense from a standpoint of like, oh my gosh, you got bitten by this thing and it like took over your life. So there is absolutely a victim component of this that I really think needs to be acknowledged. And the number of times people go to doctor after doctor and they're told they're fine because their labs, their general labs look fine. 
So there's absolutely this victim component, but the problem is people come in that and rightfully so, but then they're stuck there. And the problem with being in that mentality is it's so disempowering from an internal standpoint and a mindset standpoint of putting oneself into more of a nervous system state when they can heal. So that's why a lot of the work from the mind, body, spirit standpoint is really acknowledging like, yeah, this is this is absolutely a victim situation. You absolutely, you know, this should never have happened to you, but also moving away, from, acknowledging it, but moving away from that into an empowered type of mindset so we can get the nervous system calm enough to send the signals to the body to heal. Yeah, that validation in that therapeutic partnership is really key because oftentimes what I've seen, and I'm sure you see this in droves, is that there are odd symptoms showing up. And so there's almost a fear of the patient even expressing all of their symptoms to one provider because they're at the point where they don't want to sound crazy anymore. Yeah, exactly. And that's that happens so commonly around people wanting to keep their other practitioners informed. And we have to have conversations around like, okay, well, this is how to frame it in a way that these other person can understand and not shun you because that's what happens to people. It's It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really writing and exploring a lot about medical gaslighting. And in many ways, it's the experience and the trauma of the patient, but it's also an unknown to the provider. They don't know what they don't know. These doctors just don't know what they don't know. We're asking them to know everything about everything, right? We're asking them to know about food and lifestyle and diseases they've never studied. We expect them to be the one-all, be-all, and we sometimes need a team of different sorts of experts. I totally agree. And then I think the other component of that, to just piggyback off of that, is that we also need to be comfortable as practitioners to sometimes say we don't know if we don't know. And that's okay. Thousand percent. And that's what gets us out of the plug and play protocol when we actually recognize, you know what? You're the first you I've ever met. And I know this condition, but you know more about you and your experience than I know about you. So how do we do this work together in true partnership? And that brings me to... How do you do this work? What is the critical thinking? Where do we start? Because I know in the thousands of practitioners that I train every year, it's sometimes the biggest hurdle to help them understand that this is an art as well as a science. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think some there's, you know, some guiding principles that I find to be general guidelines, right, as far as where to start. So for example, mold and Lyme disease both look very, very similar. So if somebody comes up positive for Lyme, it's also worth testing them for mold to see and get a whole picture of what we're working with. And I do find that for most people, if they're in a moldy house, they're not going to get better from mold or Lyme. 90% of the time, there are exceptions. Occasionally, we'll try treating people for Lyme when they're in a moldy house. And even though they're mold reactive, they'll still make improvements. So nothing, of course, is 100% or textbook. But there's some guiding principles like that that I follow. And the other major guiding principle I follow in working with Lyme is really to make sure that anytime we're killing and detoxing, we're also rebuilding at the same time. So for one person might be rebuilding the gut, for another person it might be the thyroid, for another person it might be the sex hormones, depending upon their labs and their individual biomarkers as well as how they respond. But that guiding principle around 
if we're doing these things like killing and detoxing that are necessary, but sometimes hard on the body, a good guiding principle I find is to also make sure we're tonifying and rebuilding at the same time and then individualizing it using that principle based upon what we see on lab work. Yeah. You say that about detoxing and I couldn't agree more both with the actual act of detoxification and biotransformation, but also with the removal of foods. You know, as a functional medicine nutritionist, I see too often that the removal happens, but the repair doesn't happen. And so then we just go to more and more and more and more and more removal, but we don't do the repair so that we can hopefully go to those roots, understand the why, and fortify the system with the nutrients it needs. 100%. And in the end, I think what winds up happening in these examples when we're just focused on that point is what winds up happening is the person becomes depleted, oftentimes they become exhausted, and then they're just set up for as soon as there's a stress in life, no matter how little, we're all humans, we all have stressors, then all of a sudden they go through disease reversal and they get worse because they don't have the reserves to handle the normal day-to-day stresses of human life. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Like malnourishment isn't going to get us to what nutrition is supposed to do for us, which is, you know, growth, metabolism, and repair. We need it to do that. So there's so many questions I have for you. I want to get to like, if you have an approach that you teach into, if there's some way we look at it in addition to what you shared. But one of the things I just really want to reflect is just the amount of compassion that this takes, but also the amount of time that it takes. How do providers spend this kind of time? The biggest thing that I've developed is I work in a in the kind of a program, a membership-based model where people work with my whole team. And that's really, really helped because I do have other docs. I do have a health coach on staff. And so it's taken pressure off of me in order to make sure that people get in between sessions of support, they get questions answered. So that's the biggest thing with working with these complicated conditions that I would recommend is just have a team, make sure you don't, you're not doing it all yourself, make sure your team is well trained in these sorts of things, so that you have other people that can answer questions. And it's not just you. Yes. So important. So you embrace that team support, you embrace collaboration and the expertise of different types of professionals, and also the kind of warm hug or support that that brings to the individual who previously hasn't been heard. Is there anything else that you feel like just top level 60,000 foot lens that you could share with us today that is part of your approach? Yeah. One of the other take home kind of key statements I would tell everybody is in working with Lyme disease for 12 years, I have never seen one case where it's just Lyme. And so Lyme can be, say, if we're looking at a pie chart and Lyme's a piece of the pie, Lyme can be a very large piece of the pie chart. But I really see a lot of people get into clinical trouble when they're focused so much on Lyme that they forget to look at other infections, other toxins, other gastrointestinal issues, other areas in the body. So I would just caution you to ever hang your hat on this is totally Lyme and think of it as Lyme is a large piece of the puzzle and there's many other puzzle pieces and just making sure that you're doing all of your great functional medicine tests so you understand the entirety of the puzzle or of the pie. 
Oh, I just love that you said that. I'm nodding my head because in these chronic conditions, it is almost always multifactorial. And I've heard you lecture on this before, Dr. Diane, just in terms of how we get hung up on the parasites or the SIBO, or it's the one thing. And that usually occurred in a system that was already starting to have some dysfunction in multiple areas. Yeah, correct. Correct. That's really the thing. It's like, if we just focus on one area and we're not looking at the dysfunction of the entirety of the being, how are we going to ever really get somebody well? And what's interesting from the art versus science is some people really do best if we start right away with, you know, killing the Lyme. Other people, the moment we stick a any sort of even small amount of an antimicrobial herb in, they have such a Herx reaction and they respond so negatively, which causes this inflammatory cascade that can be difficult to get out of. And that person might respond best by doing some sort of intestinal permeability type of work first. So the other thing about having that entirety of the pie that allows for us is it allows us to test various protocols. And I'd like people to really look at Herxing as sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes when we are causing a die-off type of reaction, we're getting worse, like the classic Herx type of thing, people are getting a little bit worse and that's a little unavoidable. But anytime we're causing a huge amount of worsening of symptoms, we are increasing the inflammatory load of the body. And I don't typically see that being very good for people. I typically see that some that going downhill for people. And so some of the art, what I'm saying is understanding the entirety of the puzzle. So we can therefore say, okay, if the person is reacting from starting by treating Lyme before anything else, and that's not going to work for them, they're herxing too bad. We have so many other entry points of what their body needs, and we can start working through them like spokes on a wheel one by one until we find the treatment that their body is responding to positively. And that's where it becomes, I think, the art, but using science as the background so that we understand all the different entry points to their uniqueness of their condition. Yeah, that was such an important point there that we shouldn't be forcing that Herx reaction and thinking it's a good thing. We have to really look at that as another clue. And my big takeaway from what you're saying, I have a lot of big takeaways, but right there, understanding who we're talking to in their history, the importance of that very deep functional assessment lets us know in and of itself how sensitive somebody is. So we're not just enforcing or imposing a certain protocol on them without gathering that history. Such a good conversation, Dr. Diane. Really brilliant work. I can think of many things I'd love to have you back to talk about. And I just want to thank you again for your time and your wisdom today. Oh, thank you so much, Andrea. I'd love to come back anytime and thank you as well for offering such great work out to the entire community. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. 
You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.